If you can't trade mm. 50 bucks, you can't trade 5,000. Yeah. So let's get you working with 50 bucks because you're going to go through the process first. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Excited to have Jamar James. Jamar, how are you doing today? Oh man, it's awesome. Great to be here and uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you coming on. Excited to dive into your story. And, you know, we talk a lot of real estate here. We certainly talk about other things, but excited to have you on because it's been a while since we've talked about some of the stuff uh, that you're into, digital currency and, uh, you know, trading like that. So, so we're going to dive in, but a little bit about uh, Jamar is uh, he's got a mastermind DCG mastermind. Uh, and through that and what he's done, he's impacted countless lives. Um, and, and I think I really also want to dive into his story a little bit. So Jamar grew up in the inner city of Oakland and, uh, Man, let's talk about that. Let's start out with that. Like growing up in the inner city, you know, the gangs, the drugs, all that kind of stuff. How do you grow up in that type of environment? And maybe you were negatively impacted by it and got involved in it. But how do you grow up in that type of environment and get out of it um, and be what you, you know. are today? So that, that <laughs> kudos to you, by the way. That's impressive because I, you know. A lot of people stay stuck there. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it just, it goes down. I mean, Oakland is a, you know, it, it is two sides of the, the Bay Area. One is the haves and, and the other is the have-nots. And, yeah. you know, I, you know, fortunately for me, I had a mom that worked for the post office for 35 years. And mm. one of her big things was education. And so uh, living in Oakland, you know, uh, in about 34th grade, I had the opportunity to get into a program in San Francisco for inner city kids. And I would take the, the, the BART. Every morning, I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning and get pretty much bussed over to San Francisco. And when I was on that bus, you know, my mom would wake up at four o'clock. We would take an hour ride to the BART station. And, you know, when I get on that train, I would see these guys in suits. And, you know, it's six o'clock in the morning and they look kind of happy and, and they're high-fiving. And I'm sitting here like my mom is tired. I'm tired. I'm going to school. And these guys are already energized. It's like they they worked out and they were all going to the financial district. And so, you know, I would come home and I was like, you know, these guys are are happy going to work. And everyone else I see is is tired going to work. Yeah. And, you know, when you come from the inner city, you know, the environment kind of influences you. And my thing was going to school in San Francisco, it gave me an opportunity to see, you know, it, it was a different lifestyle. And so the thing is that you don't have people in your environment that can tell you what they do, right? I've been around truckers and, and people that worked at grocery stores, uh, you know, all blue collar type jobs, but no one wore a suit in my family. You know, no one went to college. Uh, they were all just hardworking people and the environment in the Bay Area is a clear separation. You know, the real estate uh, on one side of the bridge was, was pretty affordable for rent. On the other side of the bridge, um, you know, sky high for a studio. And, and that's how it was separated. Uh, for, for me though, I knew that I wasn't going to stay in the Bay area. 
You know, there's some people that say, hey, I love where I live. I'm never leaving. Sure. I know that I went through uh, school and and I, I was in honor classes since I was able to go to private school. I was able to get good grades and and I graduated when I was 16. And when I was graduating, I was like, I graduated right, from high school and you're 16. You're smart. I, when I was 16. Yeah. I, was, I was pretty smart. I, I stayed yeah. in school. I spent half the time in the morning on the train and on, on coming back home. <laughs> so you're just doing homework. I'm just doing homework. Right. <laughs> and I'm studying, trying to stay out of trouble. Yeah. Um, you know, and at that point, um, you know, I got somewhat of a, a scholarship, but I didn't know that you had to work. You know, they give you a partial 50% or 70%. Mm. And some of it is sports. Some of it was, um, you know, academics. And then it's like, well, that's, that's not a full ride. My, my parents can't pay for it. And, you know, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And mm. I think that was the the best decision that I ever could make because it, it moved me into a different environment. Now I'm around family men. I'm around guys that, you know, were looking at, you know, being financially responsible, taking care of their family, uh, which, you know, it was a good influence for a young guy that, you know, it was only me and my mom and my dad yeah. wasn't really around. He was a truck driver. So there was no male influences besides the negative. Um, and from there in the Marine Corps, I, I just, you know, I know I wasn't going to stay in the Marine Corps, but it gave me an opportunity to be so different. And no from there, I joined Prime America because everyone in the, in the military, they were always saying, hey, what are you going to do when you get out? Yeah. And I wanted to learn about finances. I remember the guys that were on the on the BART. And I was like, well, they were trading stocks. They were mutual funds. And I wanted to know more about finances. So while I was in the Marines, I joined Prime America. You know, it's a typical place where they want you to refer your friends and family. And for me, it was like, well, my friends and family, they're all broke. You know, I, I want to get the licensing. I want to get the education for myself. And... um while I was in Prime America, I met some guys in real estate. And he was, you know, a 30-year-old guy. I'm a 20-year-old guy. And he's telling me that, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about retiring in, in a couple of years. And I'm like, well, what you mean retiring? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> dad owned a Remax in Long Beach. And he had already owned like 30 properties. Huh. So he was like, well, no, man, you can buy it. I was like, bro, I only get paid like 600 every two weeks. Like, how can I afford a property? Yeah. And so the first property I bought was a... Uh, apartment turned condo that was by Long Beach State on the east side of Long Beach, close to the water. Uh, back then, it was considered a a, round, a rundown area, but it was it was three blocks away from the beach. I uh, spent like thirty five thousand on it, so my payments were like three fifty, hmm. and I was only getting twelve hundred. But uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps in, in nineteen ninety eight, uh, that same place I bought for thirty five thousand was worth like a one hundred and sixty. Yes. And <laughs> I realized that I made more money on that one deal at 22 than I made the whole time while I was in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Right. And right. he was telling me buy more, buy more. And I was like, I was like, you know, I'm a 20 year old guy. Like, I don't want the responsibility. Like what happened if the renters don't pay? Yeah, yeah. He was like, your, your payments are 350, 370. Like you'll always be able to rent it. At that, uh, that time, the responsibility was overwhelming. I was a, a, a 20 year old guy with my first property. And I was nervous that I was only getting paid twelve hundred a month, and I had four hundred that had to go to a a rental that I wasn't living in. Yep. <laughs> but that showed me the power of investing at a young age, and um, you know, of course, Prime America, like, oh, you can put twenty five dollars a month into a mutual fund, and yeah, you know, <laughs> like you look at it at the end of the year, it's like, hey, man, that's only six hundred bucks. 
yeah. that I, I put, I, you know, I've been saving and trying to put in. It's like it's, it's not gonna take work a while. <laughs> yeah. So you know that gave me the, the insight of you know uh, buying real estate, and it was like buy low and you're gonna sell high. And you know that it was like a three or four year investment. Then I bought another one in Corona. I bought another in Long Beach, and I started buying real estate at you know my first one was at twenty, then twenty two, then twenty twenty four, and uh, I love I love the California coast, but as I started buying real estate. I started getting priced out and I wanted to right. buy bigger properties. I was buying condos in Long Beach and uh, I wanted to buy a house. So then I, I went into Corona and I bought property that's kind of inland in California and I started getting, and then the traffic was like an hour to get to work in Newport Beach. Hmm. And so once I got out, I was like, man, I'm driving an hour. Like this is not life. I started having flashbacks from, you know, a, a kid saying that, Hey man, I'm, I'm driving to school. Yeah. I'm driving an hour to get to work. I'm spending yeah. half my life, you know, in, in, in traffic. And so I was like, well, I'm here in Corona. I, I own three properties. I just, you know, I said, I went to Arizona one weekend. Someone told me, hey, I'm buying property in Arizona. So I went there and I was like, I seen a fight in a line of people trying to buy new builds. It was like 2004, 2005. Oh, wow. They were trying to just put a deposit. And I was like, well, how much is the deposit? And they were like 5,000. And, and then I... Uh, I was like, well, how many can you put? You can put as many deposits as you wanted. So I, I put a deposit on four places, new builds. And it took like six months for them to get built. But I was still in, in California. And when they were ready, I think they were like 120. And when they were done, they were worth like 200. And so they were selling for 200, 210. And I put deposits for 120, 130. And so I sold all my properties like, hey, I'm going to Arizona. And now I have four houses. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, that got and this me is 2004. So 2004. We're, tra we're tracking some time here, guys. 2004. So <laughs> between 98 and 2004, you know, uh, I had six properties. Um, I was, um, I had actually went to school in Long Beach. I had got a computer science degree. I had my licensing for Prime America. I worked for Pacific Life Insurance since I was in the military so you're still uh, working full-time. I was still working full-time. Yep. Doing the real estate on the side. Let's say, so then I said, Hey, I'm going to Arizona and move to Arizona. And then I moved to Arizona and then they're yeah. like, Hey, you can't qualify. You don't have a job. I was like, well, I have cash. <laughs> <laughs> I have money, you know, yeah. and it's like, it doesn't work like that. So I had to find a job in Arizona. Oh, right. So I could actually close on the houses. And, uh, you know, once I closed on them, I had money in the bank and uh, had renters. And then I was like, I got with a, a investor. And I was like, well, you know, I want to buy more property. And it was a pre-foreclosure course. And then I started getting into pre-foreclosures. And I got my real estate license. Uh, I started, um, I had the computer experience. So I built a a website. Mm -hmm. And I started getting so many leads. And I was like, well, man, I can't buy all these houses. And um, another realtor was like, bro, just hire a broker and start your own company and split it with the real estate agents. So I became a de facto real estate owner of a real estate business that because I had the business, but I really didn't want to be a, a real estate owner yep. or own a business. Own a I just business. wanted to buy the real estate. Right. And of course, as you start making money and you start getting more agents, I started off with one or two agents that joined me. I would give them all the leads. Then all you know, about eight months later, I had 60 realtors. 
because <laughs> <laughs> they realized I was giving all the leads away, right? And so then their friends would come and the real estate company grew. And then I got, it's the hardest to go from a small business to a large business. Most people, they get to the medium size and that's where they crash because they scale too fast. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got one office and they said, hey, get, we need another office here. Another office, I realized I had three offices and I had these agents and I was just paying out expenses. Yeah. And I never thought overhead's getting bigger and bigger and the income's not necessarily falling as quickly. It, it wasn't, well, the income was coming in and agents were coming, but once the market started slowing down and you started having short yeah. sales and, you know, the deals weren't closing anymore, I seen it. You know, the expenses was, didn't I, go away. Yeah, because because as an owner, you're not just a a businessman. You're almost a psychologist. You're a, a counsel. You're you're you know mm. doing support for employees. Yeah. <laughs> so it became more of I wasn't equipped to run three offices in a business, and it wasn't fun to me. It wasn't the lifestyle I wanted. Even though I didn't want the lifestyle working a nine to five, I felt like I was working more as a business owner. Sure. Right you know, three offices and, and it was yeah. always something that someone you had to meet, someone flying in. So the real estate as an investor was, was good. As a owner, I was too young and not equipped for it. <laughs> and, you know, when the market crashed, I thought it was a great opportunity. I was like, I had a business coach and he was like, what is your perfect day? And I was like, oh man, my perfect day is riding my motorcycle up the coast, playing racquetball, um, you know, being able to spend time with my I kids. I love racquetball. That's a great yeah, sport. Yeah, racquetball. <laughs> so I play now every day almost. Uh, I ride a motorcycle. Um, you know, I'm able to spend time with the kids. I, I have a, I'm a softball dad. I go to the events every weekend. Um, but, you know, he walked me through this exercise of your perfect day. And I was like, well, yeah, man, riding a motorcycle, hanging out at the beach. He was like, well, you're in Arizona. There's no beach here. There's no yeah. hanging out every day in 120 degrees. He was like, you need to sell your business and you need to move if you really want to live your perfect day now. And, you know, I took that advice and I sold the business, um, you know, I sold the real estate that I had. And then I moved to Costa Mesa, uh, close to Newport Beach. So this is this is as what what year is this? 2008. So I was there in Arizona from 2004 to 2008. And did, did you sell your business and your real estate make money? I sold the business. Uh, but of course, when you leave and you sell the business, I got a down payment. The guys took over the lease. Yeah. Already the, the buildings. Yeah. Well, and the market just crashed. Yeah, the market just crashed. So, <laughs> you know, they, they gave me cash to cash out. Okay. But then they still owed me about another 250000 that okay. I never got paid on. Never got paid on. Sure. And, and at that point, you know, it's like I could have went back and forth and, you know, kind of sued. But for me, it was like, you know, I sold properties. I had money. So it wasn't that I was distressed. Yeah. But the 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 stress of running the business and I felt like, hey, I got out and, you know, they got the business. It's fine. The agents were kind of loyal to to me. Hmm. And so when, they, when he took over, he, he really took over the book of business, the short sales, and then he stopped paying out. And so at that point, you know, I called it, it was a learning experience, you know, not yeah. a loss, but a learning experience. And we could have been in court going back and forth, but, you know, I had a kid and it was more important for me to be sane. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
it's it's funny. I was talking to an attorney the other day and he was talking about lawsuits. And one of the things he said is he said, I had a client the one time that went through a whole long legal battle drawn out and he ended up winning and he won $590,000. And he looked at me straight in the face and said, that wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth it. Right. Yeah. He won $590,000. Now he spent a lot of money on attorney fees, so I'm sure it wasn't pure profit, but yeah, right. he said, he said, the guy looked at me right in the face and said, it wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth it. And, and that's another experience that I got. So after the real estate company, I sold it and everything I got audited by the IRS mm. and you know, the, the audit by the IRS, cause I had some agents that were independent agents. They actually fell unemployment during the 2009 crash. Oh, geez. Right. And I was like, how do you file unemployment? So I had to defend myself against the IRS and today yeah. I was a real estate owner. These are independent contractors, you know, and some of the, the realtors, they filed for unemployment insurance because it was during that time where everything everyone was, was losing their jobs. Everything yeah. was bad, but it put me in a bind because then I had to show that, hey, these are independent contractors go through the books. And uh, at that point, I was in California in the business of Arizona. They froze my bank account to get my attention, oh, right? And so when they froze my bank account, that is how, you know, I never kind of, I had this, this angry energy, like I would never want the IRS to be able to freeze my account or, you know, huh. stop my money. And so I got into trading, I got into crypto, I got into Bitcoin and it was like, I could become my own bank, right? I don't have to put all my money into a bank. Yeah. And so what was the, what was the first year you started uh, really trading? So 2009, 2009. Uh, I got into investing, you know, okay. the investing and swing trading. Yeah. By 2010, I realized that I made about 80 grand by just putting a hundred thousand into stocks during 2009. Right. And it went up 80% in mm. six months. And I was like, I'm not working. It reminded me of the real estate. I bought it. Six six months, seven months later on the stocks, I'm up like 80 grand because I bought during the low. And it was like in real estate, you would buy something and maybe hold it for a year or seven years, three years, five years, and you'll get a return. But, you know, sometimes it's 100%, sometimes it's 40, 50, and you'll be happy. Yeah. In the stock market, you can put the same amount, you know, for some day traders, they can do it in a day, some couple of weeks or, or a month. It just depends on the, the skill level that you have. But I realized that I made a lot of money without the office space, without the employees, um, just through investing. And so that kind of gave me the book to actually focus. And I went into uh, T3 trading. I went into different prop firms and I started learning uh, behind the scenes how the high frequency trading worked. So my first exposure to trading was investing. Second was swing trading and then the high frequency trading of going in and out day trading. About 2013, I was going through the, still the audit from 2009 from the IRS. And, you know, they were telling me that, well, we're not going to negotiate with you because you're in real estate and you have the potential to make a lot more money. And so, you know, they don't negotiate when they know that you could, you had the potential and you were in real estate and you had big checks it's like, well, you're an earner. There's nothing you can do besides pay us. <laughs> and and that made 
be they more know. motivated. Huh? So they 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 said, hey, we know you can make money. Like you have a history of making money. Yeah. So we're not gonna negotiate with you. Interesting. If I had a job, you know, a, a nice low payment plan would work. Yeah. But if you do anything real estate, stock related, you have the potential to pay them all back. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you're just gonna pay us. Too bad. <laughs> all right. So these are the pillars of wealth, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you if you are not wealthy, your you, your loans can get forgiven. Yeah. But if you've been wealthy, right, they say you can get it again. You can get it again. Well, which you know what? Quite frankly, they're smart. They they understand right. it, right? right. <laughs> and and I guess the thing is that a person that's wealthy wouldn't want to go back to a lifestyle of being yeah. poor. So they're gonna figure it out. Gonna They've figure done it, it out. once. They're gonna do it again. Yep. Um, man. So, I appreciate all that. Uh, one of the things I want to go back to the very beginning, just make a comment on it. But you know, you're in this environment with your mom, um, and you're in a poor neighborhood. You've got everybody around you is working. If they're working, probably they had plenty of people that right. weren't working too, right? But the, the the people that were working are working factory jobs or work they're working labor jobs right they're they're not putting a suit on as you said um but you get in this environment and this is this is the key right here uh for the listeners is you get in the environment that influences you in a positive way and you see these positive basically role models that are around you you didn't know these people but they're riding the train with you right and you meet these positive role models that affect you in a way that you go okay i can see this way and i can see this way and this way looks better and i like this way and so i got to figure out how to become more like that and that's that's exactly a huge success principle is if you want to become somebody be surround yourself with them Right, right. Or around them. Like if you want to say, Hey, I want to, I want to do better. Well then be around people that are doing better. Your, um, your environment to me is the number one indicator of creating yeah. change. Yeah. And it, it was, I mean, fortunately you took that train, right? right. And you had those people around you. And so you're able to see that environment and you had the wherewithal to actually look at it and see it and see these people and not look at them. So I think there's, there's two ways to look at a person like that. That's wearing a suit. That's giving a high fives. It looks like they got to the gym. They're happy. They're smiling. Right. You can look at them in a jealous way and say, they sucked a bunch of rich people. I hate them. Or you can look at it and go, man, I want that. That's, that's what I want. Right. And really? you looked at it and said, man, that's what I want. And so that kudos to you for doing that. Cause uh, you know, you could have went either way, right? <laughs> I think in innocence, you really don't have an opportunity to be jealous. You only yeah. have an opportunity to desire. Yeah. And it yeah. gave you hope, right? Because when you see everyone else tired and the other environment is negative and, and, and dark mm. and people don't have jobs and people are on drugs and, you know, everyone is broke together, right? And so you don't feel out of place, but yeah. then you get on a, a place and it's like, hey, these people are happy. They're going to work and they actually enjoy it. They're not tired, you know, and it gives you hope that, hey, well, maybe this is not the, I felt special to go to school in a different city. Yeah. It costs just to go from, you know, one place to the other back and forth every day. So it was an expense. And I felt, you know, I felt like I had to make it work because my my parents were sacrificing. My mom sacrificed so much for me to go. Yeah. That I wanted more. 
Yeah, that's, that's uh, true. Um, and it leads us to this environment that the in, people around you, the influencers, and, and look, if, if you're listening and you're wanting to get to the next level or you're stuck in the level you're at, just surround yourself with the people again. And you've got this mastermind, this DCG mastermind. And that's right. part of the power of a mastermind is that you're putting yourself in an environment where there's people that are wanting to do exactly what you do that are doing what you do. Then they're probably, you probably get people that are at a lower level of you at a higher level of you and everywhere right. in between. And cool. we're all then positively impacted by that. Talk, talk me through DCG. What do you guys like? Right. Yeah. So, let's, let's talk about that mastermind. What is it? Yeah. So, you know, one of the books I was really influenced by is think and grow rich by Napoleon mm -hmm. Hill. Yeah. And before I went to Marine Corps, Right. Uh, I, I used to read these self-help books, uh, how to help yourself. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I had no one to talk to. Yeah. And then when I got in the Marine Corps, I realized that everything we did was in a group environment and it mm -hmm. wasn't watch a bunch of YouTubes. It wasn't read this manual. It was everything yeah. was hands on. And so I learned so much from other men. I learned so much from the environment that, you know, to me, even joining the Marine Corps was a mastermind in itself. Yeah. Um, and so you know, when I got into, after, after 2008, I had a business coach, um, you know, he introduced me to a lot of different organizations of CEOs and things of that nature. But when I got into trading, I joined communities and it was a bunch of pump groups, penny stocks, Timothy Sykes type groups where it was a bunch of motivation, but no, no experience. Mm. It was just a bunch of guys, you know, wishing that they were going to be traders. Dreaming, dreaming about being traders, thinking they dreaming were about traders, being traders but... spending extra money that they had, losing money. Uh, Everything yeah. was hype and there was no skill behind it. Huh. And I knew from the Marine Corps that, you know, there's a process to everything. Yeah. And so, you know, once I've, you know, joined the different schools of trading and prop firms, every time I joined a prop firm, they would put me with other more experienced traders. And it wasn't like, hey, go read this book, watch this YouTube. It's like, hey, you're assigned to, to John and Dave over there. And they're going to show you how we operate in this mm -hmm. firm. So every trader that I've been around that successful had mentors and they had other traders to kind of bounce ideas from, and they surround you in that environment. If you go to yeah. wall street, they have a junior trader, a junior analyst. He sleeps there 20 hours a day inside the office and surrounded by other wall street guys. And so, you know, for me, the mastermind, you know, one weekend, I was on Facebook and and some people knew I actually traded and they knew me from the real estate days. And yeah. they were like, he actually does it. He door knocked with us. He pre foreclosed, but he's not doing real estate. So what What's the hell? Yeah. They're on Facebook and they see that I'm at the beach and I'm hanging out. And they were like, you know, I told them I, I trade now. And so one weekend they was like, well, do you have a course or anything? I was like, I don't have a course, but you know, I'll help guys. And one weekend I said, Hey, I'm gonna start a mastermind for traders. You know, um, if you're interested, here's a link. It was like 99 bucks a month. And that weekend I had 140 people that follow me on Facebook wow. sign up. And for me, I, I've never wanted to be a teacher. The same reason. I never wanted to be a real estate owner or own a business. I never wanted to be a teacher. And I had 140 students from Friday to Saturday. And I was like, well, Monday the class starts. And I told them that, hey, this is not a course or a class. This is a mastermind. Yeah. And from that point, you know, I went live, I showed them how I trade. I took 10 guys uh, and I basically mentored them. And I said, hey, for your, for me mentoring you, I want you to give two hours a week to me. 
And it was just another business model. And they became my staff. Mm-hmm. And that mastermind grew and the culture grew. Uh, we're anti-school, anti-corporate, but we want to be surrounded by real traders that are making a living through trading because every other course, there's fake gurus. There's people that say oh, they Lord. trade and you never see yeah. it. Yeah. And for us, we actually trade together and we meet in person. So the mastermind was to take a entrepreneur or a business person that really wanted to learn and put them around other guys that are either experienced or new in the middle and we all help each other. And so it's, it's a typical mastermind, but we have real traders over 200 traders that are trading full time. And now I tell them, you never trust one person. You can have a variety of people that you can work with. What are <sighs> trading is so foreign to me. Right. how you actually be successful at it. Right. So I get it. Yeah. But like, how do you truly beat the market? Like, why, why wouldn't you just be better off if you got a hundred thousand dollars, just throw it in into a bunch of, you know, different stocks that are in good, solid, you know, good solid companies right. and just, just letting it sit there for right. the next 50 years. Right. And, but you're talking trading in that so you're talking right. about making so let, let several me, buys and theory. It, yeah let you're buying and selling all the time theory. right <laughs> i'm a real estate guy things move slow for me okay right? so let me give you a theory about real estate and let me give you a theory about trading yeah right if if you have a hundred thousand yeah and you talk to a financial analyst that's licensed you talk to a doctor that's licensed and he works for kaiser right they have procedures and processes what is the job of a financial advisor that works for Merrill Lynch or JP Morgan. I mean, they're selling their product, right? They're selling uh they're selling a product. Mutual fund or, you know, th- that type right. of stuff. So they're not a trader. No. Right? And so they're selling a product. So you give me your money, hard on money to a person, his job is to get money under management. Their job is to keep money under management. So whether the market goes up or down, they get a fee for taking money under management and it is too difficult for them. They know when the market, we know that, it, Hey, if, um, Boeing, if we see Boeing in the sky and they catch on fire, we know that Boeing has stock and the plane just caught on fire. They're being recalled. We understand that Boeing is going to, their price is going to drop. People are going to sell their stock, right? The institutions are going to sell, right? For the average person, they're told just, Hey, stay in the market, continue to put yeah. more money in. Yeah. And over time, Boeing is going to be back. Yeah. In the meantime, they get paid whether they make a trade or not make a trade because their job is money under management for a individual. If you were to call your financial advisor and say, you know what? The market is dropping. It's been going down. Just move it over to a money market account. They will move it over to a money market account. And then when you see the market going back up, you can say, hey, move it back into the stocks now, right? Just that one move uh, a year, a couple of a couple of moves a year will sometimes double your account and, mm-hmm. and grow your account faster, right? Just because you have the knowledge to say, hey, the market is dropping. We all see it. The real estate is going, to, going down. Just move it to cash. Yeah. Take it out of the stock market, move to cash. Just by having that knowledge, you will earn more because now you're buying the lows with the same portfolio. Yeah. Right. And that's, but 
if I had a hundred thousand people that I'm managing their money, how many moves could I make with all that money at one time? Well, and you're not usually making those moves unless somebody tells you to as well. Someone tells you, right? And so no, no financial advisor, unless you have a private fund, right? Is going to call you. You had your money with JP Morgan or wherever. Hey, I think the market is going to go down. It's going down. We're going to move yeah. your money over to market, a money market account. Let's go. Let's go to cash. And then you're paying they a call, fee. They call you bank. six months later and go, "Hey, now's now's the time to buy." All right, right. now's the time to get that. more money under management. Yeah. yeah. So, as a trader, we have the advantage because now I control my own. I can go log into my account. You can manage. You can have a self-managed four hundred one k, and you can go make those same moves yourself. You have a hundred, two hundred thousand. You have your life savings. You've heard of people saying, hey, man, my life savings, it, it went down during 2008, 2009. It's just now recovering 15 years later, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And all they had to do was log into their account and move it to a money market yeah. account and buy the lows. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're getting nervous. Yeah. Even if it drops, if you would have moved that money and then move it back in at the lowers, it doesn't even have to be the lowest of the lows, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just that you saved yeah. it. I mean, you just watch your account go from... 500 to one, 100,000 and you can just move at 400, moved it over and then rebought it at 100,000 and had four times more. I mean, it's value at investing. It's the same thing. And I, and, and, you know, when I, and I don't spend a lot of time on it because I'm focused on the real estate, but when I uh, saw the oil, you know, go way right. down, I bought Exxon stock at 36 a share or whatever it was. And right. I sold it at 109 um, a share and it, it, and you're right. It's just, you look at it and you go, okay, come on. I mean, sure. Things right. aren't, aren't going great in that industry, but is it really like evaporating? Like, no, right. No, is oil really going to disappear when we still have cars and vehicles yeah. on the road? Yeah. Like, no, it's, it's still here. We're still okay. The price is super low. Let's buy now. So that's kind of what you're looking for, right? That's, that's, that's exactly what we're looking for. And it's the same. It's just that most real estate guys, most of anyone is in a profession. They're so focused on just their industry when yeah. even if you know your real estate market is going down, why not short or buy ETF that's inverse of real estate market? Because yeah. you already know. And it's like you're giving away free money. Hmm. Right? It's the same hmm. investment. So you can actually leverage, hey, I got all this property. Renters, you know, they're not paying. The rates are going up. You go down and short the real estate market. And then when you start seeing them come back in, say, oh, you know what? I'm going to pull it out now. Yeah. And you'll be in profits. But it's, it's, it's the fact that we have the ownership. So in the mastermind, most of our guys are professionals. They own other businesses. But they're in the environment where they're staying involved. So a, a swing trader, an investor, they're in there. But a day trader is just doing it more frequently. Right, intraday or during the day. So for me, my typical day is from six. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, how many trades? What are you doing a day? You're... Uh, so today I only had two trades. Two uh, trades. Adobe, uh, I loaned Adobe, and uh, I loaned Baba. Right, because they're getting a Baba is Alibaba, a Chinese stock that yep. they're getting a. Um, I didn't even touch crypto today, right? Because crypto has been trending down. It bounced today. But it's been trending down ever since the Bitcoin ETF because when Wall Street gets involved, right, now they right. can reallocate money. They don't care if Bitcoin goes up or down. They get paid off the volatility. Yeah, yeah. 
throw when when you know for most retail guys, oh, the Bitcoin is legal now, or it's there's ETFs. They use the ETFs to get more money under management, right? Because now you have these guys. Oh, I can get Bitcoin exposure, and J.P. Morgan can handle it for me, hmm. or BlackRock can handle it for me. Hmm. So then they'll just deposit their money, and they deposit the money, and all of a sudden Bitcoin drops. And those guys, they're not not buying it. They're saying, "Hey, no, we got your money in Bitcoin. It's going to come back. Just sit still and wait." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they get money under management. That's their job. Are you, are you waiting for Bitcoin to drop to a certain amount before you buy? I just was talking to somebody about this. They they were waiting. They think that Bitcoin's going to drop to drop pretty drastically. Quite frankly, um, yeah. we're in a short they, position. <laughs> Right, you 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 make money when it goes down and goes up. Yeah. So yeah. there is no when you know the trend, it doesn't it doesn't we don't care particularly like You're okay Bitcoin is going it. to the moon. It's yeah. like no, we have opportunity that is trending down. Yep. And it was trending up, and then you just switch the position. Hmm. Interesting. What you know, obviously there's there, there's risks in day trading, and what do you do and maybe you've already answered this but what do you do to to mitigate some of those those risks it's to, it's to manage expectations right it is to say that hey you're not getting into the group to make money you're getting in the group to learn right because the most people lose because they're emotionally attached to the dollar amount and the price yeah, yeah. so they're trying to figure out and forecast the market hey is this going up is it going down as a trader, it's like volatility creates opportunity. So when you're around other traders, you know, there's not an emotional aspect. It's like a boxer. What do you do if you want to start boxing? Well, you have to step in the ring and the goal is not to get knocked out. <laughs> right. You know, you know, you may get a hit. You may have your guard up and some punches may hit you. But the goal is, hey, it's 10 rounds. I want to I want to not get hit. And so managing risks. It's the number one thing. The first thing I get asked when people want to get into the mastermind, how much money do I need to trade? I tell them 50 bucks. Mm. And it's kind of like a joke. Yeah, 50 bucks. What do you mean I only need 50 bucks? Well, I don't want you to lose. So 50 bucks is, the process is the same. If you can't trade mm. 50 bucks, you can't trade 5,000. Yeah. So let's get you working with 50 bucks because you're going to go through the process first. Huh. It makes right? sense, right? You don't, pro you probably Learn, learn with a lesser amount. You probably don't need to right. take your 500K that you might have. We make, we make more than doctors. Yeah. But would you let a person who's going to medical school operate on somebody live? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, no. I'm, not, I'm not risking that, I guess. Right, right, right. I, hey, I don't want to I don't want to be the one on a pilot. I don't want to yeah. see a doctor until I know that, hey, he's had some experience. So why would I let a trader come in and hop in the stock market with five grand when like, hey, let's just do it with 50 bucks to walk you through the process first. Maybe maybe you don't have the statistic. Maybe you do. On your average, you know, let's call it week or month or maybe it's a year. Like how many how many deals are you losing money on versus making money on? I, I just kind of want to know how often you lose it. Do you have a ratio there or, or like an idea? Yeah. So, I mean, me, how I trade, I trade momentum. Okay. I lose about... 60% of the time. Really? So it's like a batter. Six out of 10 times I'm losing. 
Yeah. Because I'll take a small loss. So I lost six times today. Right. I had two trades that were successful. The, the six trades I lost was 40 bucks, 100 bucks. Right. I stopped out. And the trade on Adobe, I made 1500 So my goal is a thousand bucks a day. And, you know, that's just to me, that's a small goal. Uh, but that is a thousand bucks a day. And normally I'll make that off of one or two trades. And then I'll, the other trades don't work out. I'll lose 150, 200 bucks. And that's just the cost of doing business of being in the market and being right. wrong. Right. I'm just a fast loser. Yep. I lose fast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that really is important. If somebody's going to be in a business like this, they have to understand like you're not winning every time. You're just you're not winning. No yeah. trade. And, and I'm, I'm glad you said a high number. I was expecting it to be high, but I was nervous you were going to be like, oh, I never lose. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yes. You know, the market is choppy 80% of the time, meaning yeah, that most right. of the time the market is up and down, up and down. You have rare days that 20% of the time is one out of five days it is trending. It will go in the same direction the entire time. Hmm. Right. And those days are the days you make 80% of your money. Hmm. Right. So the, the the wins, you know, on just with two or three thousand, maybe one thousand to ten thousand, right? And that's twenty percent that's twenty percent of the time. So some some days you'll make five or eight thousand, ten thousand off of a small account. Yeah. And the rest of the times you're losing a lot of small, you know, I, I call it a thousand, a thousand cuts, right? Chop here, fifty bucks here, two hundred bucks here. If you know how to lose. Yeah. I like to say that we teach people how to lose because the same thing in real estate. How do you protect your, your asset? How do you protect your, your investment? Right. You have to get, get renters. You have to screen them out. That's like an important process. You don't just put anyone in there because you're not going to, you have to protect your investment first. Yep. You have to have insurance. You, you yep. want to make sure that there's, you know, uh, the, the real estate is safe and in a, in a, in a great location or that you're going to have rent for it. You know, it's not going to sit too long. I mean, all those things are things that you consider. What's your thought on, you mentioned crypto. Um, what's your thought on crypto? Is it, is it going to stay around? Is it? Yeah. A thousand percent. Um, you know, is, crypto is it something that we're going to start it, crypto to me seems like, well, when are we going to start using it, right? Because right. we've been see hearing about crypto for a long time. It's yes. not like it came about to yesterday, right? right. We've been hearing about it for a long time, but it's nobody uses it. It's not like you're like, hey, you know, I got this crypto set. You know, it's like nobody uses it. So yeah, I, have to, I have to invite you to Mastermind. We have people that they only use crypto. Really? They, they pay their bills. They pay their huh. pay everything. We, we call those guys Maximus that they only want Bitcoin because it's just another currency, right? And so the mainstream, you know, it's not going to switch over. You know, it's hard to get your grandma and yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, a guy that's been around 40, 50 years to start using crypto yeah. when his cash is king. But for the new guys, you know, our kids that use PayPal, they use Venmo, they use Zelle, their money is already cashless. They're already in a digital society. True. And so in exchange... If we went to Mexico, we would have pesos and we came to the United States, we would take them to an exchange and we would convert those pesos to dollars, right? Bitcoin is a digital currency. So 
You can go any country in the world. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And you can convert your Bitcoin to yep. whatever currency that is. And yep. now you're in that currency. The thing is that you had a freedom to take that currency anywhere you want. Whereas in your bank, it is locked from the, the, the bank system and it has to be wired from one bank to the next. And they don't have to give it to you. Yep. So for the new generation, digital assets and currency is going to be, I mean, you go to Starbucks and everyone has their money on the Starbucks app, right? That's one of the biggest banks in the world now is the Starbucks reward program. Really? They're holding more money than most regional <laughs> banks. That's crazy. Right? If you have a Starbucks card and a reward, <laughs> when you go pay, this is what you do. You put your phone up and they scan your phone. You don't change cash. <laughs> you load it, your money on. So Bitcoin, you can load money onto a Visa, a debit card, and anywhere Visa or debit card accepted, you convert your crypto to a Visa or debit. Hmm. Now, what if I went to another country and I didn't have a Visa card, a plastic? If I didn't have my wallet with plastic, could I get cash just with my phone? MoneyGram is is a is a program that's integrated with crypto, so I can walk into any MoneyGram and say, "Hey, I want to convert this crypto without a debit card, without an ATM, bank ATM," and says, "Hey, I'm going to send you crypto. Can you give me cash?" Now I've just became my own bank where I've converted my crypto to cash without a debit card or without a bank. Interesting. I didn't know you could do that. I've got very little crypto. I do have some, right. um, but I have to admit that I've got very little. Uh, and I just, it's just something that I've always been a little bit, I'm, I'm maybe just too slow of a learner, uh, but I've always been a little skeptical about it. And it's, I don't think I'm as skeptical about that. It's going to be a, a, a use and that, Right. I'm, I think I'm more skeptical that the current form of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and you name it, right? That they're going to be still in use in 10 years. That it's that let's call it Bitcoin to pick on Bitcoin. That Bitcoin, I'm a little skeptical that Bitcoin is, is going to be AOL. Right. You know, and that, it's so I'm going to go heavily invested in Bitcoin. I got a bunch of Bitcoin and a Bitcoin is gone right. because it's just, you know, whatever government put mandates yeah. in place. Who knows? Right? right. That's, that's my hold back on it. Uh, I'd, I'd just like to, I guess, know your thoughts on yeah. kind of that thought process. It's just, um, excuse my French, like the ignorance yeah. Some people don't want to hold real estate because they, they worry about the real estate market in different places like in Ohio or Cincinnati, sure. you know, in, in Oakland. Lack know. of knowledge. Right. Lack of knowledge. Yeah. So they think that the property value is, is not good, but it's land. It's an yeah. asset. And yeah. there's always a real estate investor that wants that asset. In in crypto in the rest of the world, even if it's banned in the United States, in the rest of the world, like in Argentina and Africa, they still they don't believe in their government. And they don't mm -hmm. believe in the, the currency that the government supports. Yeah. So even in China, where you know pretty much any business there, they share an account with the government. Yeah. They want to have some currency that people to people, right? Yeah. And so even if you don't believe in it, the people that do, it's like a collector's card. I don't buy baseball cards, football cards, but if I had a Joe Montana rookie card or a Mark McGuire rookie card, 
there's a collector out there that would pay me top yeah. dollar for that Mark McGuire or that Joe Montana, even though I don't value it. Someone yeah. else out there does. Yeah. That is Bitcoin. Yeah. Speaking so, of which, I just I just found out that I have a Deion Sanders rookie card because I took them out to show my kids. <laughs> and I found out I have a Deion Sanders rookie card that's worth like fifteen hundred dollars or something like that. And I got I gotta sell it because I don't I'm like, I don't I don't yeah, yeah, think <laughs> Maybe I'll sell it and then join your mastermind. And then we can start, we got some money to trade with. And and that's the pillar of wealth though, right? Because Mm, if you, a lot of wealthy people, where do they put their money? They want to buy an asset. They want to buy an art piece, right? right? And that art piece is a million, $2 million. And it's a way for them to put their wealth in somewhere other than a bank. Yeah. So they'll buy a, a yacht, a violin, a art piece. And for me, that art piece I wouldn't give them a thousand dollars. Yeah, you're like this right? is this is I'll buy this for one hundred and fifty dollars. I'm like this is twenty thousand dollars. Right, but an art collector. Yeah. So right. you got to think that there's people like me that I rather have crypto than I, yeah. than money, right? Yeah. Than cash, right. because I know that I can actually, I know what can be done with the the crypto. Right. Right. There's there's places mm-hmm. I can stake my crypto and they pay me thirty percent, forty percent. Uh, on that same money, where if I put it in the bank with a dollar, I'll never get thirty to forty percent. Yeah, on that on that money. That makes a lot of sense when you liken it to something like that. That 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 makes a lot of sense. Um, it's more valuable to some people than it is to others. It might not be valuable to the eighty year old guy that just doesn't right. care about it. That wants nothing to do with it. They're they're cash. That's it. They they want they want the dollar bill. They don't want this Bitcoin or you know right. Right. So it's not valuable to them, but it's valuable right. to plenty of other people. Right. And, and it's almost illegal for us to actually interact with individuals because then now they're thinking that you're operating as a money transmitter business if you sell your Bitcoin to other people. Hmm. So you have to have a license to even interact, you know, as a business. Yeah. But in a private environment, in a community where you all value the same thing, now it's private. It's not a business to say, you know, we're helping each other. Right. Yep. And so in those environments, it becomes way more valuable. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'd like to spend a lot more time on this. Maybe I need to get you back on the show and to really dive into crypto because it's just something that I think I I feel like I and my audience probably needs to learn a lot more about. But uh we're running out of time. I want to respect your time. Um I got I get really just got one last question before we wrap up. Uh, and it's one that I ask everybody. It's what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Three pillars of wealth creation. You know, I like to start with time freedom. You know, the things that I really value. And I think every human, right? So, you know, I understand the importance of even having the ability to think. Yeah. Some people are so busy in life that they don't even have the time to think. They don't have the time to listen to the podcast. They don't have time to even make a, a difference and a change in their life. So, you know, the the whole goal of our mastermind is to gain financial resources in a short amount of time. And then it's relationships and networks, because I believe that who you know and your environment that you are associated with will give you a, a, a help you with your net worth, will help you with uh, seeing the world a little bit different, the experience. Yeah. And then, of course... Uh, the other part of wealth is having resources that you can be free, right? That you're not in survival mode. You know, I looked at 
family that I had, and most people in the inner city is in survival mode. They don't have time to thrive. So your first friends, where I came from, was out of survival mode. My new friends are out of thrive mode. It's, 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 it's an environment where we had the resources to thrive. Yeah, it's a lot different mindset. A lot different mindset. Yeah, love that. Love that. Um, Jamar, uh, I guess last and final question is, how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you, learn more about what you got going on, uh, check out the mastermind, how can they get in touch? Yeah, so you can actually uh, find me on on Facebook and Instagram, Jamar James. And then you can also take a free course if you go to joindcg.com. Uh, it is a free seven-step challenge to get you into crypto, to get you into trading. And it's an introduction into our environment. It's self-paced. Um, and you'll have access to a the seven things I think you need to know in crypto. And it's hands-on where it gives you tasks to actually do, like get a wallet. Get a Coinbase account. You know, it introduces you to the steps you need to get involved in crypto. Cool. That's awesome. Look, man, uh, Javar, really appreciate it. Appreciate the time. This has been a uh, very interesting, great story. A uh, lot of, uh, man, just a lot of good advice. And love the journey from, you know, where you started to the the marines and the to the real estate and to where you're at today so great story great uh pieces of advice love the three pillars uh listeners check out joindcg.com jamar man again appreciate it you have a fantastic rest of the day uh thank you so much and as uh thank you for letting me share the story and uh i appreciate your time as well absolutely so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.